and I'm freezing full of fact. Uh-huh. You ready, Ron? I'm ready. You ready, Dill? I'm ready, Slick, are you? Oh, yeah. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Data Lab Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joey Davidson. This is episode 11, and it's a special episode. I'm actually joined by two hosts. First, there's Dan Larson. Dan, say what's up. Hey, Joey, what's up? There, there it is. Not much, man. And then also Patrick Callahan. Patrick, what's going on, man? What up? <laughs> oh, man, bring, bring <laughs> it back. back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's great. And that's it for the yeah. episode, so we'll see you guys. <laughs> uh, ah, so this, this is a big one. I'm I know. Excited. We're really excited. We did, Dan and I have been working, and mostly Dan has been working. We've been working on this incredible, basically a sentiment analysis of Seinfeld. That's a good question. How many hours do we work on this? I'm going to probably be embarrassed to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, the okay, reason Dan- why it's so quiet in Dan's house is because his family has left him. <laughs> <laughs> So we essentially took, Dan, two tools that scraped 53,629 lines of dialogue from nine seasons of Seinfeld, 177 episodes, and it took every single word and every single line and ranked it alongside an emotion. Was it positive? Was it negative? Was there joy, surprise, fear, anger, disgust, I think, was, I think that's it. sadness was one of them. Yeah, yeah. And this, this tool essentially told us the emotion the, the emotional complexity of Seinfeld character by character line by line episode by episode what did we what did we do well we did a, a, a text mining slash sentiment analysis uh, to start Joey and I well first Joey said I love Seinfeld and I said I've never watched a single episode of Seinfeld so let's do it I found a website Sinology. I used a collection of packages called the tidyverse I just want to give a shout out to t- the tidyverse if you're a data scientist using r and you're not using the tidyverse you need to just correct that i mean it is the greatest thing we should all be just praying to hadley wickham about how awesome the tidyverse is if you don't <laughs> code in r you probably don't know but it's wonderful it makes things very nice anyways so then once we extracted every single uh, episode uh, script of seinfeld we used a package called tidy text which was developed by julia silge and david robinson this this package was developed a little over a year ago maybe two i guess two years ago now and uh, a lot of people might remember in 2016 uh, there was an analysis that went viral of donald trump tweets and, right. Yeah. Uh, and where they had determined. My life. <laughs> yeah. yeah did. <laughs> uh, but the analysis had was able to identify that that Donald when Donald Trump tweeted, he used an Android device, and when his staff tweeted, they were using an Apple device. And this yeah. is the package that they used. So uh, it's really cool. It does a lot of things with text, uh, making it really easy for data scientists to take really what is unstructured data and turn it into something that's quantifiable and you can start developing predictions off of really quickly with you know really just a few lines of code Um, and then from there i again kind of like stood on the shoulders of other data scientists and built a quick function that used an algorithm that uh, scored every line with five emotions and an overall positive and negative sentiment score 
and then inundated Joey with charts and graphs <laughs> and bothered yeah. him constantly. Uh, I didn't even share all of them with him. My wife oh, did God. not receive this luxury. She got to see all of the, even the less interesting ones. And then we started writing up a data story. And that's where, that's where the time that I've been working on uh, this project starts because all of that time before then was just uh, me wasting time on my own. <laughs> And this might be the stupidest, awesomest thing. <laughs> I want to dive into this towards the end of the episode, but I think that we we both feel that there's some broader implications here, right? Like, I mean, this is this. Yes, we did it for Seinfeld, but like, this is something that could be done for anything. Like anything that's text heavy and involves like uh, the the need to read emotion on a large scale. Yeah, I mean, you can use it. We've been talking about using it for social media monitoring. If you're a uh... Uh, social media manager, you could easily use this to say, how are people talking about my brand? You can use it for email message classification, you know, reduce the amount of work. You only need to respond to the people who are the most upset or the most angry. Uh, uh, or maybe respond to the people who are the happiest. Uh, I don't know. That's yeah, that's you. it. <laughs> uh, there's a no, no, we can make sure the email system could literally send only the happy ones to the CEO. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> company's doing great, boss. <laughs> the rest of them. <laughs> I want you to suck in 44,000 of my emails and then put it through this and see what my sentiment would be. Oh, my gosh. I feel like we should do that. Why wouldn't we do that? That's amazing. <laughs> that sounds awesome. It would and be, then that right. could be like indicative of your daily mood. Like we could know when not to bother Patrick like based on <laughs> That's why they haven't bothered me in three weeks. Right? Oh. Do not send any gifts on the Slack channel today. <laughs> Dan, did you um, actually watch a Seinfeld episode yet? Have uh, you seen I, one? I have now started to watch them on Hulu. I'm episode five. Uh, I believe the <laughs> male bonding episode uh i need to step it up i'm episode five i'm trying to remember what so you're still stuck in the doldrums of the first season dude yeah like before it was really picked up and found its its uh stride you know i i did want to tease out some of the more interesting things that we picked up on with this algorithm right so one of the first visualizations that you shared with me was the lines per episode it's basically a a a line chart and you guys can see this on the datalab.io we'll we'll share it there we'll share it in the show notes we'll share it everywhere so that you guys can find this story but this visualization is essentially the four core characters jerry elaine george kramer and how much they spoke per episode for the full run right and we cut out two episodes because they were clip shows right dan right yeah and the century had no dialogue um that was written right so one one of the few things that we noticed that we thought was super interesting was this dip off right around the 40th episode for elaine um and i think you and i were both like that's weird like, why is she not there? And it turns out that this is when Julia Louis-Dreyfus was on uh, maternity leave. <laughs> so they had to cut her out of the show entirely for, wow. like, a, a four-episode run. But it was just such a weird, like, pickup uh, oh. because she's such a constant presence. I thought that that was, that was uh, weird. And the statement you made about Kramer, I mean, when I think of Seinfeld, I mean, I joke that I've never watched it, but, of course, I'd seen it, like, syndicated and on TBS, you know, growing up. <clears throat> but... Uh, how, you know, how he ended up being, you know, one of the least, you know, he had the fewest lines in almost every episode. He's at kind of at the bottom. I thought that was yeah. kind of interesting. And it's really strange, too, because like even even when Kramer peaks, he never he never really is the standout for the episode. So like there's never like a Kramer centric. He's just such a good supporting character. I think he never goes. If you look at this line, bar, like he never breaks the 81 lines. His highest is 81 lines, Dan. Over the full, 
177 episode run of Seinfeld. <laughs> His highest amount of lines is 81. Meanwhile, there's Jerry with 151. Yeah, but if you look at the trend, it looks like Kramer goes up. So yeah, maybe just more popular. Just the Cadillac. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's still at the bottom. Well, and I, I pointed this out in the story, but he's the only character for the full run of the show, the only character to garner like literal applause when he enters a room. For the first yeah. time in an episode, people used to go nuts for Kramer. And I just thought it was so crazy that, like, even when this was happening, uh, the showrunners were never like, let's give Kramer more. The, yeah, the, it was just like even the littlest thing, like in the line charts, like uh, that line graph. It just was, I learned a ton about the show just from from that little thing. But you want to talk about the other one, the scatter plot? Oh, I, I had a lot of fun with this me one. Out, man. Yeah, it yeah. freaks me out. Just because... Uh, <laughs> It just like I thought. It, I thought it was fun. Yeah. So you put. So essentially, what this did was it took it took every single episode and it arranges it on this x and y vertices where you can say like I want the x vertices to be anger and I want the y vertices to be like sadness and then it just arranges it based on the the value that was attributed in that sentiment analysis. It just arranges it on this scatter plot, right? Yeah. So like you get to see these clusters and outliers for like okay, well, what happens to be the angriest and saddest episode or what happens to be and the one that still made you and I laugh when we were playing with this together was uh if you combine fear and disgust the episode that like filters <laughs> towards the top is the bris where jerry and elaine find out that they have to hold a baby during its circumcision like yeah <laughs> as just, everyone like, should <laughs> right yeah so i but that that i think was the almost the come to jesus moment for me with this because like it dan i gotta be honest like with this whole algorithm thing, I'm sitting here thinking, like, there's no way this thing can really pick up on emotion. Like, there's... And it, and it does. It totally does. It totally does. I understand your skepticism. I've pitched this, you know, idea uh, to a couple of different people I work with, you know, for different projects. And they're always just like, oh, but there's so many, you know, caveats and there's so many limitations. And I think... I don't know that there are, you know? I think it really picks up really well. Like, you watch some of these episodes and you know it just it's you know the stock tip uh which uh is an episode that we had kind of picked up on early uh where sadness and trust if you pull those two out joy joy and trust joy, joy and, and trust uh it ends up again up at that top you know where it kind of makes sense but they're talking a lot about trust they're talking about a lot about a lot about joy there's a lot of emotion in that episode kind of like so high swings weird. up and down yeah, and I think that what's really interesting here is that you just kind of kind of have to give up and and believe in the machine. And Dan, this is I'm totally the layman here when it comes to this algorithm, but my question for you is is it because of the sheer amount of data that this algorithm had to work with? Is that why it was able to tease out such good results? Yeah, I mean, you figure there's you know, ton, for in every episode there's hundreds of lines, and it's just mm-hmm. looking at I mean, the actual count of these emotions in every episode is actually pretty low. But again, it's like there's enough in every line to uh, across all of the lines to kind of pick up on the overall sentiment of the episodes. Right. And then the other one, Dan, that we worked on was actually attributing those emotions, not just to lines and specific episodes, but to single characters. Yeah. This was, so you like the scatter plot. This is actually my favorite thing. So someone who like went out of his way, like I remember the day that, that they released the puffy shirt collection and the coffee table book collection <laughs> of the Seinfeld DVDs. I was like, my brain was racked for like, which one should I buy? So like, I know all these characters by heart and the fact that I could figure out like over the full hundred 
177 episode run, who is the angriest? Who is the saddest? <laughs> Figuring that out made me so happy. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit that playing with the characters and when I was building visualizations and just trying to to identify the story, they, they were the most fun. Like just realizing, like like one of my favorite characters is Steinbrenner. Looking at his yeah. data, I mean, he just had every emotion. He just was like. Every single emotion, joy, anger, he's like at the top of the list. And it's just like, what a funny thing that you would have this character that just every time he spoke, he, he was just, you know, exuberating, you know, all of the feels. I, lo- I loved and I loved Steinbrenner. Like, if you can remember back on his episode. So he's he's the owner of the Yankees when George goes to work for the Yankees towards the, the end of the show uh, before the summer of George. He just George just keeps doing things like he goes to the Yankee Museum <laughs> downstairs and he puts on Babe Ruth's uniform from like the early 1900s <laughs> and then he eats a calzone while wearing the uniform and gets grape <laughs> something or other all over it. And Steinbrenner's like, George, I love this. You're onto something. Out with the old, in with the new. And it's just like that's totally Steinbrenner and then I look here and I'm and surprise what do you know Steinbrenner's top of the chart for surprise joy what do you know Steinbrenner's top of the charts for joy like, it's, just, it's so perfect oh, it's so who was Mr. Pitt I don't remember Mr. Pitt Mr. Pitt <laughs> isn't, isn't that Elaine's boss the guy who eats uh, Snickers with a fork and a knife <laughs> isn't that Mr. Pitt oh my god it is yeah he's the, he's the, when Elaine doesn't work for Peterman she works for Mr. Pitt and she has to deliver him <laughs> Snickers and he eats them with a knife and fork oh my gosh what a great memory yeah wow, but this, I, this just continues to give life to Seinfeld it'll never die Seinfeld was never gonna die so the angriest character in the show this is one of the things when I was telling people that we were working on this um, sentiment analysis thing after they got over how stupid it was, um, they came to me and they were just like, so what, what's some of the cool stuff that you learned? And I was like, well, who do you think that the angriest character on Seinfeld was? By like large margins. If you sort this bar chart by who the angriest character is, you would think it's like the soup Nazi. But he didn't have enough lines, did he? He didn't have enough lines. So we did limit it to only characters with 40 or more lines. So guess who skyrockets to the top? It's Kramer's lawyer, Jackie, who like is easily the angriest character in Seinfeld. But like, <laughs> I don't know. I was, Dan, this, this. You surprised me with this. We went into this and I was thinking that like, okay, this will be cool. But like the results at the end actually surprised me. Like how good it was shocked me. Yeah. Or that you even teased anything out of this. This is great. But Patrick, we're not dumb because we have like two more parts that we're going to (laughs) do. On Seinfeld? Yeah, we have some really awesome ideas for like, well, Dan, take it away, man, because you're, you're the one who's going to be building these. Yeah, so the next one, what we want to do is use these emotions to create a, a model that allows the user to say, what kind of feeling are you in? And then recommend an episode to the to the person. So that's what, the, what we're going to do next. And, I love um, it. And so I'm looking <laughs> forward to that, you know, like building this model that's kind of using text and really no training data. You know, we're just going to kind of wing it and we'll see how well it does. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I love I, that. I, I just, I think that there's this really weird hurdle that we're having to clear right now, like mentally, at least for me personally, where it's like believing in, in, in the algorithm that's been untrained and like seeing it 
prove results. I'm really excited to do this stupid test thing and it to tell me an episode. And if it complements my current emotional state or even reverses it, like we I don't know if we want to have those two options. Like, do you want to feel better or worse? Well, oh here's the episode. <laughs> uh, but like if it actually works and complements or reverses my emotional state, that'll make me so happy, man. I don't <laughs> I, I, I contend you're going to get a call from Jerry Seinfeld, and he's going to say, "All right, I got to build my next episode, but I want to use this data to figure it out." <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be like the weirdest thing? <laughs> One of the reasons why we chose Seinfeld, Dan, right, aside from me loving it, was just because we knew that the data set was going to exist. But yeah. I think that like this would work for other shows. Like, could you imagine this with Friends or The yeah. Office or any any like iconic shows like that? Yeah, I mean, uh, just to clarify, I mean, this data set doesn't exist. Uh, it exists in the sense that there's a website that has all the existing data on it. That's all. Yes, uh, called Synology. So I just a shout out to whoever's doing <laughs> that website. I don't know. It's pretty awesome, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we should we should probably send them yeah. a link to the story and be like, look what you made us do. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's awesome. Um, but you yeah, we like, have to do that. Any any if we every every show that we can find. I mean, one of the ideas I had is to just start <laughs> building a collection of every show that we can think of and scraping it, throwing it into a database, and then just start like analyzing shows by by different things when they were when they were produced you know who their target audience was whatever yeah. we, we can do so i i mean I, at I, one point i'm I gonna let go could, of this project but probably not for a while we could do this state of the union addresses uh because oh. tonight is the state of the union. <laughs> and it has the most hilarious one what would be the the funniest one or, or the, I, the one closely matching mr jackie <laughs> <laughs> Start start to do the correlation. We could dra- we could grade each of Trump's lines by not by their sentiment, by which Seinfeld character that specific line most aligned with. <laughs> sure. Oh, Trump is being a total banya right here. <laughs> Look, he's starting to approach Mr. Pitt. Yeah. Get that man. A you can even get all of them. I think George Bush would be hilarious. Somebody oh my saves. gosh. Well, it's funny because like this this whole text analysis process, like you mentioned the State of the Union, but Dan and I were kicking around the idea of like, okay, so we've got this. We're doing like text analysis, but why not do it live? Why not, why not understand like some sentiment like for the State of the Union as it's happening? What's the general sentiment of Trump's current speech? Like not just not just what's the content, but what's the actual emotion? Like what does that say yeah. about his state of the union versus other ones? Like, okay, at two minutes into his state of the union, let's compare his emotion to Obama's and Bush's and Clinton's and everyone else's down the line. You know, yeah. like I just feel like there's a lot of information to be gleaned from that. And how close is Kim Jong Il to pressing the button throughout the uh oh, man, <laughs> the yeah. from the button. This is definitely got legs. I think this is a whole new industry, Dan. You, you, did an, <laughs> you did an awesome job. So, like, wh- what's the hardest part? Like, what was the hardest part in doing all this? The, so, I'm, I'm using it as an excuse to learn D3, um, which that turned out to be the hardest part. I mean, uh, extracting the data, running, really it, running it through the, uh, through the sentiment analysis. I mean, I am very proficient in R, so doing that piece was pretty easy. Uh, it was... Getting something out there on the web that doesn't look terrible uh, it was probably the hardest <laughs> it part. It looks great, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're becoming an artist. Are you uh, all? 
Uh, they did not look great when we started, so Joey can attest to that. But I'll never, you'll never get that out of me. Uh, I'll never. But Joey, I got, and I got to believe putting the, putting the story to it, like even teasing out who's the angriest, yeah, who's who's the most angry, whatever. That that's the journalist right there. Well, and, I uh, I think what's you know what's interesting. Dan Dan was saying the same thing, and I think that like. I don't know. I, I wouldn't have been able to do it without the visualizations because the story wasn't clicking for me until Dan started showing me these things. And I can remember like we were having meetings and calls and like we were just talking through the visualizations and I'd be like, holy crap, Dan, look at this. And Dan's like, yeah, that is funny. And I'm like, oh my God, Dan, look at this. Like, and I'm like, I mean, yeah, zooming out, we're just talking about Seinfeld, but it just worked really well. To me, that's like the most fun part, Joey, is when you get working on with this with someone that's like writing and telling a story is re- was really fun because... Uh, you were like asking questions that I hadn't really thought about, you know, like, well, what, what does this mean? Or, you know, what if we did that? And, you know, it was a combination of like, you knew about Seinfeld, but also like, it was like you were telling a story. So you were looking for the data to kind of tell, tell that story. It's a really, I've never really approached a story from this lens before. I mean, like, so I've written features before and I've written long stories and that's not, that's not really that interesting. I've done interviews, whatever, but I've never come at something with this uh, this this angle, and I just think that this is probably one of the most interesting ways that I've explored a topic, and that's because of the work that you did with the amp analysis. Um, <clears throat> and it's just some of it's interesting because with Seinfeld, like it's a thing. If we were to do this for Scrubs, it would be the same thing for me. This is such a comfort food show is something that I turn to so often, like you know it, like by like the back of your hand, so to speak. And I just think that like some of the things surprised me and some of the things I totally expected. And I love that both things happened. And I just, it, I don't know. This was great. This was what, an how, awesome exercise. How hard was it to work with the data? Was it, you said it was simple. Is that normal or did you have to do anything else to it? The data itself is just on a website. Um, and I, the, uh, the package I used was called Stringer R, which is really written, and and a couple other packages, HTTR, which are written to deal with website data. And so th- once you are kind of uh, accustomed to saying, look for this or look for these tags on the website, uh, once you start kind of going through that, uh, it becomes really easy to kind of create the data frame that you're that you're trying to. And so uh, initially, just kind of going to the Synology site and understanding what it was that they were doing uh, and how they laid it out and how they tagged different things. That takes a little bit of time, but once you do that, then you're, then you're all set. I'm curious, Dan, how hard would it be to translate the same exact type of work to something like Twitter for a, a different reason? You know, like we talked about um, understanding customer emotion or whatever, but just if a group of people are gathering around a hashtag or something like that, um, or even a location that they're tweeting from, how hard would it be to, to pull this type of information out? Not at all. I mean, like I said, I mean, once we've, we wrote the algorithm to do the, the actual sentiment piece and then now we can use that for, for anything. So the only challenge is dealing with various t- text characters. Sometimes on Twitter, mm-hmm. people are using emojis or uh, foreign characters that sometimes can hold up kind of a, a line of code, but we can easily get rid of those. So not, not hard at all. I mean, once you've written it, that's the beauty of writing, writing, writing this code. A lot of times you write it once and you can use it a thousand times. Do you use anything for inspiration? Any other stories that you've seen out there or sites that... Uh, uh, just a, another shout out to Julia Silge and David Robinson. I mean, what they did with Tidy Text was really like, 
I mean, that inspired me to do this. As soon as when we first started playing with it, I did I had no idea what we were gonna do. And then as soon as I looked at the the different lines, it was like sentiment is what we have to do. And I, you know, looked at their package. It works perfectly and ran with it. Awesome. It looks great, Dan. A lot of work, Joey. I love the story. Oh, it's a good. <laughs> it's going to last, last a long time. It looks good. Cool. I think we're going to take a quick break, if that sounds good with you guys. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about some uh, some less Seinfeld-focused things. I mean, you might you might be able to break me away from Seinfeld for 10 minutes. I don't know. <laughs> but stay with us. We'll be right back. Okay, so now that you've heard all about Seinfeld, I know that we mentioned this sort of at the beginning of the show, but Dan and I have also run over in our minds like how this could be applied to, to something that wasn't just a sitcom. Like, how could this work in the real world? Like, you're reading this article and you're thinking, "Wow, this is really interesting," but like, what does this what does this mean for me? Why should I care? Um, Dan and I ran over some use cases for this, and I think some of them were really interesting, and some of them even I don't even think I had considered. But I know that social meeting monitoring was one, and then that email triage that we mentioned earlier was another. But what else would this work for, Dan? So I think uh, a couple things. Medical record mining, you know, healthcare records are a lot of text. So maybe it might not be sentiment, but using using similar techniques that are looking for you know medical term certain medical terminology that could flag certain things. Uh, again, I mean, it's just the process of identifying certain language. And I think probably my favorite uh, and most interesting example I found is uh, actually write an algorithm that determines what stocks to buy and sell based on uh, what people, specifically Donald Trump, is saying about different companies. Uh, oh, a super man, interesting story idea. from last April on NPR talked about this, and I thought it was awesome. You know, the implications of what he says are going to impact about a company are going to impact the market. So if he's talking really positive about it, hey, you should buy. If he's talking negative about it, you should sell. Could you write a script that handled that from end to end, like a script that watched Donald Trump's feed and then also you hand it like $100 to work with and then it just like invests in companies at will? In theory, yeah. I think it actually exists. I think they have been doing that. Yeah, I think that this um, – I'm pretty sure that they are doing that and the story details the guys that are doing this. Oh my god, that's so it, smart. And I think that like some of the stuff, it's it's not necessarily new. I mean I, I read a case study a couple years ago about a company that was doing sentiment analysis on help desk stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was actually predicting when, when you'd have negative help desk reviews, two weeks later the, the stock price would drop. It's just that the speed of this stuff and the volume of data you're using is just really coming along so you can automate a lot of these things that you're talking about. Um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the the health stuff and even I think that like in the medical industry, they're referred to as like EHRs, like the electronic health records and using data to like flag when something's going to go wrong with a patient. Um, I've been reading a lot recently about how doctors are sort of a little reticent to trust an algorithm like that. And this might go back to what I was talking about earlier, how I was kind of skeptical of this. Um, there's a fine line that you have to walk when treating patients um, and I think that it's a little scary, right, to trust like your health to an algorithm that's picking up on when you're sick versus when you're not. So I don't know. I just think that that's really interesting. Like doctors are like right now learning how to let go 
and like trust trust the machine for just a hot minute i, I mean i i totally get that about I, I think it's one of those things are it's more like a fear of self-preservation than it is like an actual fear it's like oh if a computer can do this like what am Why i, am I here? do you know <laughs> yeah, and, and, and so that kind really? of manifests itself in like doubt in the algorithm and then there's also like privacy concerns i know you know people don't always want all that information collected on them but yeah. i i do think it it's coming and it will improve our health overall yeah i think so too. i think i think it'll just take time for people to get used to it like you know after the third or fourth time People yeah. just start adopting and getting used to it. It's like your the example. I think the first time I met you, Patrick, and you told me the your color ID story about from your mom. And it's like you know, it'll be that first time when you go to the doctor and you're like, you don't even see the doctor. You just get you know prescribed a medication, and it takes five minutes. And you're like, oh, that was terrible. And then you go you go back the next time, and you have to see the doctor, and you're like, wait, what? What? I have to, see, I have to <laughs> yeah. talk to you? Like, wait, what happened? <laughs> Who are you? This is going to have such wide implications, though. I mean, with telemedicine, everything is yeah. really good. Well, and that that sort of plays off the announcement that was so – on the day of recording, we found out that um, Jeff Bezos and – what's his name? The guy that owns Berkshire Hathaway and J.B. Morgan Chase, they're starting their Warren own healthcare Buffett. company. Yeah, Warren yeah. Buffett. So they're going to start their own healthcare company. I wouldn't be surprised if they use something like this. Like this, this totally and, falls in line with their version of futurology. Yeah, or keeping even if keeping in the doctors in the room. I mean, the fact that they might not have to transcribe their notes, you know, like Ugh. just record the doctor visit and record, you know, what they're thinking. The amount of time that would be saved and efficiency would be huge. Yeah, one of the I things think- that doctors complain about most right now is is how much time they're spending away from patients. I think the average doctor spends seventy minutes in front of, or seventy percent of their day in front of the computer, thirty percent of the day with their patients. That's really bad. Yeah. Um, and I just think that that anything that gets away from that model is huge. I would love to see the data sets, and we've been talking about this with um, Alexa and Siri, and to do sentiment analysis on what people are asking. Maybe we can like. <laughs> Uh, get a happiness index going on or something like that at some point. They're going to be most angry with Siri. She's the most useless of the three. Yeah, I got to tell you. I'd like to see that well, this weekend on Sunday. You know, the yeah. Super Bowl starts. Everybody's talking nice to Siri. By the end of it, not so much. Where do you think this is going, Dan? Or Joey? Like, it's a, I think it's an interesting question. I think that that. You know, you even linked to this in the um, the newsletter a week ago, but the the bot that speaks poetry. I feel like this is kind of a, in that same wheelhouse. Like machines slowly but surely using language processing to like understand how to speak and how to write. Um, and I know that we've talked about vocal processing before, but like even this, like this, I feel like this sentiment could work like in a machine learning context and make computers better at talking to us. Yeah. <laughs> You sound angry, Dave. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna Not angry, predict. computer. That <laughs> <laughs> it's actually going to start doing, um, you know, predictive. Like I think his his uh, maybe he should lower his blood pressure, and I'll play some music based on his sentiment. That'd be amazing. If you wake up yeah. in the morning, it can tell you're a little cranky, so it fires up some reggae. <laughs> I'd love that. Oh, that's, oh, man, this is great. We've come up with like 60 different product ideas just in this alone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so just out of curiosity, uh, 
Dan and Joey, like, were there any sites that you used to learn about the, the fundamentals of sentiment analysis or anything out there that, because it's been so, I mean, ClareBridge, I think, is a site that is completely based on sentiment analysis. They've developed tools for the CIA or whoever to build mm-hmm. these things out. Anything else that you're using? I just, you know, I've been reading the blogs. Um, I probably, if I, if we we're going to embark on a serious project, I would do a lot more research to understand how it works. Um, and so we, you know, as we were making predictions, we knew what those predictions were actually about. Um, but I know that uh, Data Data Camp has an awesome course on sentiment analysis, and I would highly recommend uh, any of our listeners who want to learn how to do it to check that course out. Did you use that in preparation for this at all, or is it just something that you came across in your travels? I actually have been doing uh, this kind of stuff for a little while on tweets. Uh, I kind of like to monitor a couple. Um, I use a, a scraping package, and I pull down you know, my own tweets and stuff like that. And so I kind of had already done it a little bit <laughs> you, on my you, own. That is the creepiest <laughs> basement-dwellingest thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> I just like to monitor some things. So just like the, you know, just Seth Grimes. He's a good one. Uh, oh yeah. I don't know if you guys ever heard of him. He's that Alta. He does a sentiment analysis event every year, and it's pretty good. He's stacked. Yeah, that's cool. I'm a groupie. Oh, that's Alta Plana, right? Or Alta. That's Plana. right. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I think I've only heard it. Hmm. What about you, Joe? Are you, are you you're coming up to speed on this quickly? You've been reading anything else on just sentiment analysis? Um, honestly, I'd never heard the term before before this project with Dan. So like immediately once he started talking about it, I think I um I left having drinks with him and I started diving pretty hard into stuff. I mean, I st- as was all things, I started at Wikipedia and just branched out from there. Um, but fortunately, there's a freaking ton of information about it available right now and everything that i've seen seems to point towards like microblogging as being like the the front of the wave like as soon as like twitter started really that's when this really ramped up um so everything that i was reading that was really interesting seemed to center on twitter but maybe i'm i was looking in the wrong places i don't know there are some groups that are using it for some amazing things we had a uh, meetup down in dc uh about a year ago where they're using sentiment analysis to predict out suicide uh so it's, uh, it's yeah. a do- be done some really good things. Um, mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Yep. yeah. On a similar note, though, um, speaking of what we've been reading, what have you guys been reading lately? Dan, what you, what you, what's been on your book list? Well, I'm embarking on, I'm trying to read 30 books this year, so I'm kind of cranking through as many as I can as fast as I can. Uh, I just finished sure. these uh, We Were Eight Years uh, in Power, which, uh, you know, kind of made me a little depressed but it was a really fantastic read and you know changed my perspective on a lot of things and today i embarked on a book with puppies on the cover uh just kind of show you guys uh and it's called doing bayesian data analysis and i've yet to make the connection between uh the puppies on the cover and the technique but i'll let you know so why did you pick that book because of the cover it it's actually a really, um, you know, one of the most recommended books uh, for learning Bayesian analysis. So I don't know why they have puppies on the cover. <laughs> you me... bought it. That's why. <laughs> really yeah. Happy. yeah. I feel like maybe the guy just likes dogs. Yeah. Joey, what are you reading? What do you got? 
going on? I'm reading two things. I, I always have to be reading a fiction book just because I enjoy them. I'm reading one called Snow Crash. Dan, I feel like this book is up your alley. Have you ever heard of it before? No. Um, Snow. It's it's. I think it came out in the early 2000s, but it's held up super well. It's like a dystopian sci-fi future story. Um, like, what if the government breaks down and we split our time between living in VR and living in franchise-owned counties around the country? Okay. So, like, McDonald's owns an area of the country, and like <sighs> the mafia an area of the country, and like everything else. Um, and it is really, really good. Uh, probably one of the best books I've read in a long time. And then the other book that I'm reading to sort of wrap my mind around data science in applicable ways um, is this handbook to data sci- or to data journalism. A data journalist's handbook, I think is what it's called. Um, and it's actually pretty good, but it's it's sort of written as a collection um, from all the people who have done things like the Guardian Data Blog, the Texas mm-hmm. Tribune's like data science work, um, New York Times data stuff is in there, and uh, there's a few that Germany has one. I can't remember what it's called, the Zeit Zimmer or something like that. Um, they're just their data science team is incredible, and it's just about the rise of data journalism and how important it is right now because. Um, the internet kind of screwed up journalism in a really big way, and this is sort of the way that journalists are seeing to counter that. Um, but that's it. Awesome. And on that note of data journalism, there's a another one by the Guardian, and uh, uh, that was put out by the Guardian, and I think his name is Simon. I can't remember. We've had it on previous notes, and I'll find it and put it out there. But uh, it's it's all it just says data journalism. It's a book. Uh, really started a lot of this. Good history hmm. of it. Cool. What about you, Patrick? So I've got two. One that uh, one's work related. Um, we had that story to go out where uh, we're helping out um, uh, predict where juvenile offenders need help. And there's at the University of Pennsylvania, there's um, a, a few professors that wrote something called actionable intelligence, uh, using data systems to achieve more effective, efficient, and ethical government. It's all about bringing data together and then what you can do with it on a predictive side of things. Uh, so it's a it's a a very deep read, but it's it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one. I don't know if you've ever read this uh, before. I'm rereading it. It's Super Sad True Love Story, a novel uh, by Gary Stankart. Have you ever heard heard of that? No, no, no. It's fascinating. Basically, do you remember the Clout Score? Are you familiar with the Clout yes. Score or something? So basically, yes. if, if you ha- if people haven't heard of Clout Score, it's, it's your it's almost like your FICO score of how effective you are or um, impactful you are in social media. So you get a, a sign to score. And um, much like a, a, one of the Black Mirror shows that came out, in, in this novel, people walk around with this device around their neck and uh, everyone judges each other based on the score that they have hanging around their neck. And it's, it's almost a comedy, but it's, it, it's, it's, it's sad because it's true, or it's funny because <laughs> it's true. That like this is the direction we're going into. So, um, it was a New York Times bestseller for a while. Gary Steigart, and uh, I reread it every once in a while. It must have scared me into uh, don't forget, don't forget to be human. Uh, so. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, like I, I remember that Black Mirror episode. It's almost like Instagram, sort of, but like it's happening in real time, and people yeah. get rated, and then like that affects their ability to get jobs, and it affects like how much money they make. Um, I don't know if you know this, but China has that. Yeah, Actually, I saw right a story now, on that. <clears throat> it's, yep. They almost treat it like a credit score, um, like you just said, Patrick, and it like affects your ability to purchase cars, like how you're viewed as like a person, like should oh, you man. be able to buy a house or something like that. Yeah, so imagine if your social media worth um, dictated like what type of a house you could afford or if you get into college or not, something like that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. 
I just deleted oh, all my it. social media apps. <laughs> Yesterday. <laughs> May as well move out onto the street, man, because oh. that's that's next. You know what would be kind of cool? It's like one of those scores based on your sentiment. It would just make the world a happier place. <laughs> you're, the higher the score, the more positive you are. Maybe maybe when you wake up in the morning, your computer could analyze like your current sentiment based on like your early morning interactions, and then you have to wear a certain color shirt for that full day, so oh, that yeah. people know like Joey's in a good mood today. <laughs> he's wearing Stay a blue shirt. He's <laughs> in red. Patrick, he's got a red shirt on. <laughs> We're gonna be billionaires. That's it. Yeah, billionaires are like maybe the opposite of that. <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, awesome. Thank you guys for listening. This has been another episode of the Data Lab. Uh, make sure to follow us on all of your podcast outlets and leave us reviews. That helps. And um, follow us on Twitter, too. The handle. What's the handle, right? It's Data Lab Podcast. Dan. Yes. Is that it? That's it. Uh, you can also follow us at Compass Red as well. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time with more stuff probably not related to Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> Talk then. Is that it, guys? Do we want to wrap up there? I think it's a good one. It's a wrap. Right. So, too. Dan, would you like to say goodbye awkwardly just so we can, can keep tradition alive? Or yeah. <laughs> let's keep. Let's. A lot of people they stay tuned to the end just for that. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs>